Iowa's Newsworthy Past is a project imagined and curated by me, Kristen Noonan, a newly minted librarian. With help from Rod Library at the University of Northern Iowa, I come through an encyclopedic, handy-dandy, Iowa Historical Newspaper Library Guide to select stories and record myself reading them out loud all in my basement. The music you're listening to right now is by Iowa City's Blake Shaw, and the music you're about to notice in the background is by Memphis resident Brendan Lee Spengler. Tune in and out as your time allows, and please enjoy your totally free, no strings attached, last from the past. It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to January 30th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Our first stop on this day in history will be in Clarion, Iowa, in the Wright County Monitor newspaper on January 30th, 1878. I'm your host, Kristen Noonan. It's a pleasure to be your guide today. Let's roll. The power of a word. Do you even think how much power is vested in a word? It may have cost but little exertion on your part to utter it. Only a single breath may have been required to waft it from your lips to the ear of your listener. But when once spoken, it was past recall. It revealed the secret motives and brought to light the hidden thoughts of your heart. Oh, the word may have been a thoughtless one, spoken in an unguarded moment, but it left its impress, and may be remembered long after your voice is hushed, and you are sleeping that sleep that knows no waking. Perhaps the word was an unkind one, harshly spoken and accompanied by a cold, chilling look which cast a gloomy shadow o'er some loving, sensitive heart. Perhaps it was one of malice, envy, or deceit, and enkindled a bitter feeling of resentment, which will live while memory lasts. Or it may have been a cheerful, pleasant, loving word, proceeding from a heart brimful of the purest kindness, which fell like sweetest music on the listening ear touching a hidden chord in the soul which will ever respond in strains of love and harmony. Perchance it may have been a word of sympathy or encouragement, spoken in tenderest accents, scattering the clouds and sending sunshine into the heart. A cat aged 31 years died in DeWitt lately. For 31 long years, it had catered to the wants of the people with its catter walls and been the recipient of thousands of hairbrushes, combs, bootjack, and kindling wood. While Mr. Kinney of Clinton was attending church Sunday, a strange notion came over him to go home. So strong was his desire that he left before church was out. Upon arriving at the house, He discovered that burglars had been about, and his sudden arrival had put them to flight. List of Patents 
The following patents were issued to the Adventures of Iowa for the week ending January 15, 1878. Reported expressly for the Monitor by A. H. Evans & Company, Patent Solicitors, Washington, D.C. R. I. Hazen, Sr., Calamus, Calf Muzzles. R. Atkins, Iowa City, Home Draft Equalizers. F. A. Barlow, Ladora, Wagon Brakes. Dutant and Thrift, Newton, Centerpieces for Stoves. John Worth, Keokuk, Preventing Incrustation in Steam Boilers. L. H. St. John, Cedar Rapids, Fence Barbs. Hunger and thirst after local news instantly relieved by subscribing for the Wright County Monitor. And now in the Wright County Democrats, January 30th, 1901 issue. Sham Laws. There seems to be something wrong with the laws of Illinois which prohibit gambling, and perhaps the same can be said of the laws of Iowa. Some time ago, George J. Consigny, a wealthy land dealer of Palo Alto County, took a fling with the gamblers of Ottawa, Illinois, in which he blew in a good man thousands of his wealth. Lately, he entered complaints before the grand jury at Ottawa against several parties who kept gambling rooms in which faro, poker, roulette, and other games were played, and in which Mr. Consigny lost his wealth. He also instituted several civil actions for the recovery of his money, which actions are now pending. But the curious thing in regard to the matter is that while the grand jury were undecided as to just what course to take in regard to the keepers of the dives, they promptly indicated Mr. Consigny on his own statements. It can be seen what an adequate protection such a provision affords the violators of the law. It would be almost impossible to secure evidence against gamblers if the giving of it, as in this case, through the witness liable to indictment and conviction. The same thing is true of our laws in regard to bribery. Evidence cannot be secured against a man for bribery sufficient to convict, unless someone accepts the bribe offered, and then the bribe taker becomes equally culpable with the bribe giver. For that reason, our bribery law is practically a dead letter, and the same would be true of the law defining and punishing gambling, if the only means of obtaining evidence is in itself a punishable offense. To beer or not to beer? The Mulked Petition was defeated in Emmett County after one of the hardest fights on record. The saloon men secured the required percent of voters and filed their list. Then the remonstrators got in their work and secured in withdrawal enough to defeat it by about 25 votes. But out of these remonstrators, the saloon men secured enough who rechanged their minds to make 
in all but 66% of the voters, and the Board of Supervisors declared the petition sufficient according to the law. But the names on the petition included the re-remonstrators and a number of others who had signed without a witness that it is they witnessed their own signatures. And the board, before taking final action, had the county auditor write for the opinion of the attorney general as to two points. First, can a signer legally witness his own signature? And second, could the persons who withdrew from the remonstrance and asked to have their names counted for the petition be so counted? The decision of the attorney general was against the petitioners in both cases. He declared that in his opinion a man could not witness his own signature, and that class of names should not be counted, and that the case of the petitioners closed on the day of filing and no names could be added to it afterward, as did the case of the remonstrators ten days later so that all the names on the remonstrance should be deducted from the petition. The decisions cut nearly 100 names off the petition and left it high and dry, for the board accepted the opinions as final. The saloon men talk of taking the case into the district court, but they will hardly do so, for it does not take much of a lawyer to understand that the attorney general's opinions are well taken and will stand the test of the courts. Bell case reversed. The case that attracted the most attention in the past week was that of Jas Bell versus the town of Clarion for damages. Many of our readers will remember that in the summer of 1896, Mrs. Bell was injured by tripping on a loose board on the sidewalk and falling. She sustained injuries in the fall that it was claimed caused her death. The prosecution was conducted by Peterson and Humphrey, assisted by attorney Evans of Hampton. Nagel and Nagel appeared for the town. The case was given to the jury Saturday evening and in about an hour they returned a verdict for $2,000 for the plaintiff from Democrats, October 19, 1898. On January 24, 1901, the Supreme Court of Iowa handed down an opinion reversing this case. The ruling was on purely technical grounds and was based on paragraph 11 of Judge Hindman's instructions to the jury, in which he says, the law therefore presumes when he should have said the law infers. Below we give this section with the rulings of the court, leaving out the citations and discussions relative to them. The decision throws upon the plaintiff the burden of providing that the deceased was not guilty of contributory negligence and will without doubt come before the district court for another hearing. The court instructed the jury with reference to the necessity of proving wants of contributory negligence on the part of the deceased in connection with the accident, and although these instructions are complained of, we do not find in them any material error. But the court said further to the jury, 
11. You are instructed that it is a recognized rule of human conduct that persons in their sober senses naturally and instinctively seek to avoid danger. The law therefore presumes, until the contrary appears, that the deceased, prompted by this natural instinct, did exercise care in approaching and stepping upon the sidewalk in question where the injury occurred, but such presumption would be overcome by evidence that satisfied the minds of the jury that she was negligent. The rule that an ordinary person, prompted by natural instincts, will use reasonable care to avoid injury has long been recognized in this state in connection with the rule that an action for personal injuries plaintiff must show the exercise of reasonable care on his part or as it is usually expressed the absence of contributory negligence school notes shall we have a library the seventh grade b has taken up fractions the ninth grade is beginning to hunt for the value of x Mr. J. H. Jones of Clinton was a high school visitor Wednesday. Tilly Demerly has been transferred from the first grade A to second grade A. The science division of the 10th grade has taken up the study of geology. The fifth grade B have taken up the first steps in the history of our country. The sixth grade pupils were asked to give a list of the books read by them during the past two years. The following were among the books named. An Evil Deed, A Woman's Love, The Severed Hand, Jesse James, Tempest and Sunshine, Lena Rivers, A Final Beckoning, and Three Little Pigs. One boy, 14 years old, had never read a book. Contrary to our usual rule, we publish an original poem this week, My Mother's Wrinkled Hands. It was written by a clarion schoolgirl and, though not beyond criticism, reads nicely and possesses some real merit. My Mother's Wrinkled Hand Trembling and careworn tonight, creased with long years of care. Once they were dainty and white, once were they dimpled and fair. But every wrinkle and scar for endearing memory stands, and yet the fairest sight in the world tonight is my mother's wrinkled hands. Gentle as fallen snow, they rested upon my head. When, kneeling at her knee, the eve-tide prayer was said, Yet to shield from crime or sin, They were strong as iron bands, And the fairest sight in the world tonight Is my mother's wrinkled hands. Soft are the hands of a lass Unhardened by work or sun, Mothers are wrinkled and old, But love them for what they have done encircled by loving deeds though poor and wasted they be the fairest sight in the world tonight 
is my mother's hand to me. Better than richest gems, rings of jewel or gold, are the loving deeds that shine from hands so wearied and old, emblems of love and truth, each furrow a sinewy band that bindeth tight to my heart tonight, my mother's wrinkled hands. T.J.W. That's it for January 30th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, thanks for listening. Hey, if you liked your ride, remember that you can follow me on Instagram at Iowa's Newsworthy Past. If you didn't like your ride, well, maybe you will tomorrow.